Now, getting back to the All-Star Games and what happened in, in this year's All-Star Game, one of the things is um, people debate as to how an All-Star is named and what stats should be considered. Now, we'll talk about what's in reality and what's in fantasy. And in fantasy, supposedly from the time the All-Star Game finishes, the second half of the year to the first half of the following year, my understanding, you're supposed to consider the cumulative stats. What I think happens in reality is the year of, from opening day until the All-Star Game, those are the people that are making it. What are your thoughts? Uh, that's how I figured it, it is as well. And plus, you know, you have balloting that's voted on by the fans. So the more fans that vote, the better opportunity that a big market team where a guy's doing well is going to make the All-Star team. There have been plenty of guys who have had All-Star first halves that haven't made an all-star team just because of the name recognition. And for all-stars, you want to be in, you want to put the guys in the, in the game who you feel as a company or as major league baseball, that people want to go and watch, even if a guy who is not a namesake is having a better year. Uh, and that's unfortunate, you know, guys work hard uh, guys, you know, for whatever reason uh, have great first halves and, and, you know, would, would, probably like to receive the accolades for having that first half of, of a season that's been a tremendous, you know, whether it's batting average, home runs or whatever, to get that opportunity to go there. Um, you know, again, baseball's a business. They have to uh, put the best product out on the field. And sometimes, you know, the guys with more name recognition get to the all-star game and, uh, you know, it's a, it's a show for the fans. But that being said, you know, when the actual game actually happens from the guys that were actually voted in to actually who ends up on the field can be very, very different between injuries, between somebody started late, so they're not available now, or they just want to skip it all together. So it seems like, you know, inevitably, it seems like so many guys end up, you know, in certain years, like this year, there were people there that I'll be honest, I'm not going to name names, but I was looking at their stats, watching them. And I said, how is this person an all-star? Like, are we really this low on a position? But certain positions just inevitably are low. There aren't that many caliber all-stars. So some people do luck out that, hey, a couple of guys got injured or a couple of guys didn't want to go or weren't yeah. able to go. And they do get named. But for somebody who, let's say, is someone who uh, gets named every year, plus goes to the playoffs, uh, you and I were speaking about this as well off camera. There's a big grind to it. And I don't think people can appreciate those extra days of healing, how big it be for a player in the middle of the season, correct? It is very true. Uh, you know, I think at the end of the day, guys really do appreciate those three or four days that they get off to really kind of reset themselves. Uh, but again, it's, it's very special to play in an all-star game. Uh, everybody that I've talked to, you know, the, when especially the first one, you know, they go there the first one. And if there are multiple visits for a guy like Mike Trout, who had back spasms this year, and pulls himself from it. Like he's played in plenty of them and he knows what it is. He was still there because it's in LA, right? So he's right up the freeway from Dodger Stadium being in Anaheim, uh, you know, but you're right. I mean, it's it's one of those things where, you know, you look at it and you're like, okay, well, some guys are luckier than others being in that position where, you know, guys get pulled out or have to be replaced and and they're the next in line to, to get it. It's still quite an honor. and at the end of the day, you know, there's a bonus for these guys who go to the all-star game in their contracts and they do get, you know, the recognition and they get a little bit of money that goes along with it. And 
you know, not only is it an honor, but it also fans their wallet a little bit. Not Kyler Murray money, but uh, certainly it's, uh, it helps. Every little bit helps. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, guys appreciate it, you know, and that's, it's part of it, you know, it's in their contract. And if they get an opportunity to go and make a little bit of extra money, especially young guys who aren't making millions and millions of dollars, it it really is one of those things that, uh, you know, help them not only in the short term with uh, what's in their contract for that particular year for the all-star game, but when they go to arbitration or when they become a free agent, I mean, it's a resume that you put together as a baseball player. And, uh, you know, that, that resume just grows when you, you get uh, selected to an all-star game. So this year's game, uh, I told you it's going to be a 16 to 15 uh, barn burner. I was very, 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 very wrong. Uh, what did you think of the game? Amazing or stinker? I thought it was somewhere in between. I mean, you got to see, uh, you know, a lot of quality players. I think the pitching really dominated for, for the most part. I think, uh, you know, the arms that guys are throwing out there or, uh, well, the teams that, the teams that have the arms that go to the all-star game that they throw out there are, are, are tremendous. I mean, you know, and then you just look at, uh, you know, what some of the hitters have, have, have to face each time and you're facing a different guy. So you don't get to see the same look all the time. Uh, but overall, I thought uh, it was well run. I thought uh, the ceremonies were great. I thought leading leading up to it was, uh, you know, the production was well done. And then, uh, you know, the game was one of those things where you have interchangeable players and new pitcher comes in every inning. So it kind of helps, you know, keep the momentum going in the game and it doesn't get stale. I mean, from... Pictures that went on the map, I got to tell you, like, it's it's one view when you're at home and you're listening to the commentary on TV versus being there. But, I mean, you saw the same stuff I saw, like Manoa throwing gas and struck out the side, and they had him mic'd up as well. He became a, a household name almost overnight. You know, one of the things playing in Toronto is not everybody, you know, follows the Blue Jays that are south of the border. And uh, obviously here being in Toronto, I'm a little biased. But uh, people certainly took notice of him and his personality. So it was a really great forum for him there. Um, having been to Pittsburgh not that long ago, uh, the Pirates closer came out. Can't think of his name off the top of my head right now. David Bednar. Yes, David. And uh, Bednar is uh, a guy that excellent stats. That doesn't get a lot of recognition because not everybody follows the Pirates. Uh, they seem to always bring out these amazing closers. They just find a way over there. It's, it's, it's something about a machine out over in Pittsburgh. And last but not least, the Cleveland closer, which we were talking about, man, he looked Class on Class yes. A. was amazing. Like, just loved his delivery, loved what he was throwing, looked great out there. So for you as a former pitcher, especially looking at the relievers, do you have a special place in your heart for them? Like, are you rooting for certain ones or just general fan of the game, would you say? Just general fan of the game, of course. Uh, you know, I, I have a, a bias route towards the, the Milwaukee Brewers and the guys like Devin Williams who pitched in that game or if it was Corbin or, or Hayter or any of those guys. But I, I got to mention one thing, and I, I did read a story, and I'm not sure if you had seen this story or not. We haven't talked about this at all, okay. about how David Bednar was able to get into that game and pitch the ninth inning. Um you know, Edwin Diaz from New York Mets have been, has been to an all-star game plenty of times, right? Yes. Um, and they told Bednar, uh, and I'm going from the story that, that I read off The Athletic, but they told Bednar that he was going to clean up an inning, uh, and if he warmed up uh, and didn't get in the game, he wasn't going to pitch. And it's his first all-star game, right, because it's pretty special. So Gosselin gave up those two home runs and was struggling a little bit, 
They, they said they got Bednar up. Uh, he warmed up, not not full 100%, but warmed up a little bit. Um, and then Gosling got out of that. So they had to sit Bednar down and then Castillo was next. And they kind of just, you have to give starters more time to warm up to get in the game. So you can't kind of mess with them. Because obviously when you go to an all-star game, you're playing with other players, uh, other teams' players. So you, you want to make sure you return them to that team healthy and intact. So Bednar thought he was done uh, for the night because he felt like they warmed up and, and Snitaker and, and the Atlanta staff uh, just didn't want to, you know, play with Pittsburgh's closer and, and maybe, maybe warm them up twice. And then Edwin Diaz went to the bullpen coach and told him, call down the Snitaker and tell him that I want to give up my inning for David Bednar in the ninth because Edwin Diaz was supposed to pitch the ninth inning. And it kept going on and on for two or three innings and Snitaker didn't want to do it. And they tried one more time in the seventh inning, they called down and they said, you know what, if you want to give up your inning, David can have the ninth inning. And he ended up pitching the ninth inning because it was his first all-star game and had the opportunity to pitch. So, you know, to hear a story like that and, and to see, you know, that Edwin would give up his inning because he's been to an all-star game and he's experienced that and he wanted someone else to do that. Uh, you know, hats off to him. And it's, it's super respectable. And uh, I just love to hear stories like that. That's the kind of fraternity, you know, that the major league clubs and the uh, teams and the players, you know, and that's where, you know, you, even when you, when you are playing against one another and you want to win, you can see when somebody gets a hit and, and, and is at first base and talking to the first baseman, talking to the coach, guys get to know one each other. It becomes that close, close fraternity. Love that. Yeah, it was great. It was great to hear. Now, I, I did do a little bit of research and talking about the fraternity and how small of a world it is when we're finishing up on All-Star Games. And uh, again, it was a tight game and well-pitched one in 2022. I, I thought it was a, a great game as far as I, I love pitching and it would be nice to see a no-hitter or something, but that's not going to happen in an All-Star game. It's going to be very rare. But uh, nice game, a couple of big bombs, like you said. Um, you did coach in a couple of All-Star Games in the minors. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, first one being in 2015, the Midwest League. And it was, I, yeah. Yeah. And well, no, I was just going to say that was the yeah. first one that I uh, ended up doing. Uh, you know, we got selected to go to Peoria, Illinois, and, and do that. Um, you know, and it, it, it was my first one ever coaching. So it was a lot of fun. Um, you know, you, you're handling A ball guys, but uh, you try to get them all in the game. You always have to save guys for extra innings. Uh, but, you know, as a coach, that's that was my job. And I was able to get everybody in the game. And, and you know, for, for an A-ball guy to pitch in an all-star game, uh, you know, you never know how far they're going to go, right, or, or what they're going to do in their career. So, uh, you know, it was something where the coaching staff and I put together a plan and, and executed it really well. And you were the pitching coach for that team, correct? Yes. Okay, and uh, this, this was the Eastern Division Lake County Captains. Well, that was the team that I was coaching yes. uh, on the east side for the All-Star Game, the Lake County Captains, that's correct. Now, do you recall any of the uh, players on that team? There were, I mean, obviously, the, the players that we had, um, you know, off the top of my head, mm -hmm. I'm trying to think. I mean, the, the closer back in the day for Detroit who threw like a hundred, he was in that game. I can't recall his name, but uh, you well, know, I'm sure there was plenty. Well, I'll throw you out some names. Sean Larkin was the manager. Yeah. Yeah. XMLB player. 
We had your boy from Milwaukee and from Toronto. First base, Rowdy Telez was on the team. Rowdy Telez, but he was from Toronto's minor league system at the time. Yeah. Glaber Torres was on the team. Glaber, yeah. 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 Anthony Alford was there in the outfield. Yep. And a couple of big league pitchers. You had Brian Hunter and Justice Sheffield. Justice Sheffield, yeah. He was uh, on our team and, and – uh, you know, did a nice job. Now he's with Seattle. So he's bounced around a little bit. Did you uh, go up to Rowdy at, at any point and say, listen, just so you know, I can look at a crystal ball and one day I will be the pitching uh, open coach, sorry, at, uh, for the Brewers. You'll be the first baseman. I'll be seeing you there in a few years. No, I didn't have the intellect to, uh, to go up to him and tell him anything like that. You know, young guys are really uh, pretty standoffish when they come to the all-star games like that. You know, they're just there to enjoy it. And they don't really interact with the coaches that much because we don't play each other all that often in the minor leagues. But it's pretty cool as far as from an uh, A-ball all-star game, the guys did make it to the show. It does happen. But I can't tell you, you know, I, I, mean, I can't obviously because you, you played with them, but how many guys are in AAA that are can't miss and it just doesn't work out for one reason or another? You know, they have that quadruple A label, you know, too good for AAA, but just couldn't crack the show. It's heartbreaking. You know, you're certain these guys are going to hit and either injury or their own minds and they don't, you know, they just don't have, yeah. the, you know, the, the common sense or the, uh, wherewithal to make it happen for them or just bad luck. You know, it's so many factors. Yeah. Uh, no doubt. You call it quadruple A. We call it 4A in here in the States. 4A players. So, yeah, there are plenty 4A players. And, and those 4A players, guess where they usually go? Korea. You're right. It's exactly right. It's where they end up playing and they usually do well. And then a lot of those guys that go to Korea come back and sign multi-year deals in the States because, you know, teams feel like they've figured something out over in Korea and, uh, and had success there and, and come back to the States and, and pitch in major leagues. The guy that always, it wasn't Korea, but it always stick out to me. Cecil Fielder, when Cecil Fielder found his way back and played for Detroit and big daddy was getting 50 plus home runs. You know, he was the secret formula. The only guy I've seen like that since is, was Eric Thames and Eric Thames going to Korea, coming back. And, uh, but we have seen a couple pitchers. There was the guy yeah. on the, uh, on the cards. Was it Mikolas? Yeah. Miles Mikolas. Yeah. yeah. He went over there, came back and, and was pitching for the Cardinals. Uh, you know, there's a, the guy that Brewer signed, uh, he won two MVPs over there. Josh Lindblom as a pitcher and had tremendous years and came back and signed a three-year deal here. So, uh, you know, for some of these guys, it really works out. And at the end of the day, you know what? Uh, a lot of these guys will go over there because they know that they can make a lot more money playing in Korea than they can in the United States. And that's just a, a perk uh, prior to maybe being able to come back and play in, in the big leagues. So, you know, it's, it's a way for them guys to, to make uh, a stable living and, and make more money than playing in the minor leagues in, in the U.S. As we're finishing off our All-Star Game chapter here, and this is a good one, uh, true or false in the off season, uh, Steve Carson is going to be channeling his inner Phil Necro and he'll be holding trouts, uh, in front of major league scouts and he'll come back as a knuckleballer. He's itching to get back in there. True or false. That's a, a false and a hard no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I need to purchase the movie, the wrestler and send it over to you. You, you never know, buddy, but, uh, it's, uh, it's one of those things I, I can't tell you actually, because we're not that far off in age, 
I don't know what it is, man, but as soon as you hit 40, the extended warranty expires and everything goes literally. And every year, every week, every month as the ages come on. So I got to say guys who do retire and come back in their forties, fifties to any sport, like boxers that come back in their fifties, all the power to them. Uh, especially when they're facing 20 and 30 year olds, good luck to them. But, uh, even when the will is a hundred percent there, the body's got to cooperate. Eh? Yeah. Like, like there's, there's guys like Tom Brady, right. In football that are playing to their mid forties. That's kind of crazy to even think about. Uh, but you know, guys that stand out that pitch like Jamie Moyer, right. Pitch till he was 49. I mean, like who, who does that? Like he almost pitched to when he could get his pension. I mean, it's crazy. So, uh, you know, guys who can do it, and, and mostly it's guys who don't throw hard, right? Who pitch longer than guys who are really fireballers who burn out their arms or just are more taxing. I wouldn't say burn out their arms. I shouldn't say that. I should say that it's just more taxing on their arms when they throw harder. So they just don't last as long because there's more stress. Where the guys who can command the ball and don't throw as hard uh, just have a better chance of playing a little bit longer. So finishing off on knuckleballers, if, and somebody it's just not going for them uh, throwing hard. Why don't they just pick up a knuckleball? I guess, cause it's not that easy to replicate that pitch. Eh? You hit the nail on the head. It's easier said than done. You know that saying? It's, Everybody it's says hard. just be a knuckleballer. It's that easy. You're watching them and they're like, there's nothing to this, but yet so few guys can pull it off. So you know what? So all of the people who are saying, just pick up a ball and throw a knuckleball when you've never done it before, you go do it. If you've never done it, I've never done it. So for me to pick up a knuckleball, is not going to be that easy. You've never done it. So go pick up a ball and try to throw a knuckleball outside and see how hard it is to try to get the ball to move the way you want with no seam. It's really tough to do. So I guess last stupid question from Johnny Fan: Why don't we see left-handed knuckleballers? Uh, that's a great question. I do not have uh, an answer for that. I mean, I don't even see knuckleballers very often that are right-handed. I mean, you know, you had Negro, right? You had Tim Wakefield. Uh, R.A. Dickey. R.A. Dickey. But again, those are few and far between, right? I mean, I just don't see... Actually, to be quite honest with you, uh, guys who are position players have better knuckleballs because they practice it more when they play catch than pitchers do. So when a guy has to come in a game, you'll see a guy throw a knuckleball who's a position player and it's actually pretty good. Not that he could withstand and do that, but for one inning, and if guys don't see it, maybe, right? I mean, but it's just, it's, it's an uncommon thing. It's not very easy trait to pick up. And, uh, you know, you have to practice it for a very long time to, uh, to be able to do it. Well, there you go, folks. So we start off with Bob Euchre. We end up with knuckleballers, and we talk about the All-Star game in between. We'll pause here on this chapter for the All-Star game, and uh, we'll see you back soon, Steve. All right.